<laughs> Getting hooked up. All right, everybody. Um, actually, I'm still going to try to reconnect to this thing. Hold on just a moment. I'll call you right back. It's giving me trouble. Apologize for the brief uh, hesitation there, folks. I uh, had a bit of a technical issue on Blog Talk's end, but that's all settled now. Um, welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, tonight's my guest will once again be the Venus Project to talk about their involvement in basically a recent uh, visit to Occupy Miami. Uh, before we get started with that, a couple of brief announcements. Um, for those of you who haven't already checked this out, um, recently my YouTube channel has become more active as I have been donated a video camera for the purposes of taking video. Uh, you guys will find a lot of great stuff there, so do consider going to my website, the-radio.org, and going to the links section, and there you will find a link to my YouTube channel where I put up a lot of great information about different Occupy movements that I will be touring. Um, I'm hoping to be able to go to Occupy Lansing here pretty soon. There's supposed to be a big meeting there. Um, with any luck, that'll happen this weekend. Um, in addition, there are also radio shows that I'm uploading directly. And the reason that I'm telling you guys about these is that when I upload them, it means that I recorded them ahead of time, usually from interviews that were taken in the field with an MP3 recorder that was also recently donated. So um, when that happens, however, it doesn't email you guys. So you'll have to actually go to the website, check for them, um, or go to my blog talk and check for them. But I recently put up two um, one of which was very brief. It was called Thoughts on Thanksgiving. I recorded that while I was just kind of brainstorming, thinking about, you know, what was going on during a Thanksgiving dinner I had visited. And the second one was called V Radio at Occupy Flint. Lots of great interviews could be found in that show, but it was not emailed to you guys, but it's still completely available to listen to um, either, you know, through the Blog Talk Connection or on the widgets that you can find at v-radio.org. Um, now all of those, uh, you know, Announcements out of the way. Uh, welcome, Roxanne and Jacques, to the show. Hi, Neil. Thanks. Hi, Neil. How are you, Neil? I'm excellent. It's great to be talking to you guys again. Um, you know, uh, now I, I guess to everybody, if you haven't already um, been tuned into a show where I have Jacques and Roxanne, uh, don't forget to check out thevenusproject.com to get an idea about what we're going to be discussing tonight. There are also many archives of great conversations I've had with these guests in the past that you can find on my website. So, um, well, Roxanne and Jacques, uh, once again, welcome to V Radio. Um, I first just wanted to ask you guys, because you guys recently went to Occupy Miami, to kind of talk about your experiences there. Well, everything went very well, we think. It was a pretty good crowd, and it was very well received. There were a few people holding signs behind Jacques that were totally irrelevant to what he was talking about. But we made a little video and we put it up on our website as well. Well, actually not on the website yet. It's on our Facebook, thevenusproject.com. Um, I mean, the Venus Project Facebooks. Uh, and thevenusproject.com, it will be on our homepage. But it was, um, it, it was a nice visit. And I guess we spoke for about an hour, if not more, and uh, it was it was just very very well received. It was very appreciated, and oddly enough, there are a lot of people there that we had over here, we had that had come to the tours as well. That's excellent. Um, 
There were some people actually in the chat room already kind of explaining how you guys handled the silly signs that some people put up that were supposedly all part of some depopulation agenda. Um, we talked a little bit about that story. It was pretty funny how that played out. Do you want to relate that? Actually, we put that on our video, one of those questions. One woman mentioned that she had five children. Which one of them would you want, something like the question, which one of them would you want not born? Which is, which is really ridiculous. Yeah, or eliminated. I don't know how severe that question was. But um, so we just tried to explain to her that, that this is what's happening now. They're starving large groups of population that are poor, that don't have water or don't have food. And um, we're advocating a system that enables people to use science and technology, a global approach where everybody can have clean air, clean water, arable land, food to eat, relevant education, if we use our science and technology wisely. But that can't be done within the profit system that we have today. So uh, we were trying to explain to the – I think it was all right with her afterwards, but some of the people just kept holding the signs regarding that. And and the rest of the audience was saying, take the signs down already. They answered that. It's totally irrelevant. But they kept holding the signs. They had no idea what we were talking about, evidently. Well, it's it's basically the, the conspiracy theory idea that just because you guys mentioned that we should be conscious or aware of issues of population – that therefore we somehow support depopulation, despite the fact that Jack has repeatedly said that, you know, since we don't value force, we're not going to stop anybody from doing anything. It's about educating people, you know, and suggesting that, you know, it's not a matter of us wanting to round people up and exterminate anyone. If you're not conscious of how many resources that the planet has and how many people that it can, um, that it can safely take care of, then people are going to die on their own, you know, and that, that's the issue of trying to avoid it from that perspective. I mean, you know, so Jock, why don't you take a moment and explain the the attitude about how the Venus Project would suggest to to approach the issue of overpopulation? Well, first, before we make any such decision as that, we have to know how much arable land we have, how much water we have that's that's usable today, and once we do a survey, we can then tell you how many people the environment can support. In other words, even if we have a shortage, we can put science and research on ways of getting more water, more arable land, and how to build up the soil so that we can grow more food. You can't keep growing food fast. You would exhaust the soil unless you put back into the soil what the food takes out. Unless you go in for hydroponics, and ocean farming, which is hasn't really begun yet, ocean farming offers tremendous possibility of very large amounts of food by using suspended lines into the water and putting crustaceans on the lines, which they're doing in Japan, which can provide enormous amounts of food. There's so much that can be done in hydroponics, soilless agriculture, uh, fish farms on land and in the sea there'd be no shortage of anything but it's only during the transition that we will have problems 
And even when we have those problems, it's not our intention to round anybody up and exterminate them. That's just oh, ridiculous. <laughs> right. Well, and naive concept. Quite the opposite. Right. And that's it especially since it's always been our attitude that with the use of technology we could easily extend the carrying capacity of the earth beyond what we have now and easily take care of what we have. It's just an issue that in the future we have to be rational about it, you know, once we reach a point that it, you know, that it needs to be addressed. And then you address that through educating people. I mean, uh, somebody in the chat room, Joe Park, just pointed out, someone should have asked the, the, ch the mother with seven children, if you don't plan out your budget, then which of your five kids gets to eat? Yeah, a good point. And that's, and that's the question you have to ask yourself. And today, those are the aims of people, to have a family have a couple houses, have a couple cars, um, have a big family, and uh, get a job and, and secure the family. But the future that we're talking about within a resource-based economy where resources are accessible to everyone and promoting a high standard of living, people will have so many other options. And just that one option of what you need to do when you grow up and have a family and live happily ever after You'll have so many other things to do that that probably won't be a priority. Right. Now, you know, when go ahead. people are more educated, even today, in um, more industrialized countries and they're better educated, they have less children automatically. Did, um, now, one of the things that I think that has come up quite a bit, even in my own discussions with people in the Occupy movement, is that. You know, some of these people are still stuck in the paradigm that we need politicians to provide more jobs. You know, they don't really look at the, the fact that mankind has evolved beyond the point where, you know, asking for people to provide you with jobs is probably not going to work. I mean, I, I say that here in Detroit frequently is that, you know, I support the idea that when we do have workers that we should absolutely have people to stand up for their rights so that they're treated humanely, but at the same token, we're kind of getting to the point where technology is, is to the point where it's not going to produce jobs. It's going to eliminate them and that we need to move past this idea that politicians are going to solve our problems by bringing more jobs. And instead, we should be working on building renewable, you know, energy-based infrastructures, you know, that we move towards essentially the concepts that you guys discuss all the time in the Venus Project is that, you know, we're kind of to the point where the idea that selling one's labor for exchange of goods and services is just not viable anymore. Now, did you guys have an opportunity to to share those ideas with Occupy Miami, and, and how were they received? They were received very well. Mm -hmm. In other words, I pointed out in detail just how we do that, and that's what's missing. You see, Neil, I've always believed it was not enough to criticize a government without offering alternatives. If you don't offer an alternative, you leave people in midair. You leave them with a problem. What is your suggestion? If you don't like the stock market, if you don't like banking systems, what is your possible alternative? If you don't offer an alternative, you just you, you exacerbate the problem. Exactly, and that's. I think that's one of the things that I've that I've dealt with quite a bit when I go to the Occupy movements is that there are a lot of people that. You know, they, they know that something's wrong. They're definitely talking about that. They're talking about the corporate greed and they're, you know, they're talking about, you know, how there is an issue. And I totally am on board with that. And that's why I joined them. You know, I, I definitely consider myself one of them now. 
the question then becomes, you know, what solutions are being offered? And, and you have to be careful with it because they are being bombarded with a lot of different groups that, that want to offer solutions, you know, based on this, like the, the socialists and the communists are kind of using it as a recruiting drive. Like, they're like, yes, finally, capitalism is failing. Let's jump all over this. And I usually have to tell them, I'm like, well, the problem is, is that's not a sustainable solution either. You know, we need to, you know, we need to move further than that. We need to go beyond any of the previous paradigms and start to look at, you know, where the world is now. Exactly that, Neil. That's what's needed. Information. People do not have enough information to offer any other suggestions. So what we have to do is inform people as to how we keep in touch with the environment's carrying capacity. That's the major concept. In other words, if you have a population in excess of what the environment can carry, you're going to have problems unless you come up with new solutions. Uh, we have to do a study of the carrying capacity of the Earth's resources and live in accordance with the carrying capacity or improve the carrying capacity. They also have to understand that the politicians are not there to serve them. They're there to keep things in as they are and to serve the 1%. You know, they make the laws, the lobbyists and the industrial uh, people who own the industries. So looking towards politicians to make this system better, it's had its heyday and we feel it's on its way out. And if you don't pose something else, you try and do patchwork within this system and it's not going to work. Um, they think that they can elect ethical people into office or just make more laws without taking care of the conditions in the society that are causing the problems in the first place. You know, today we have technology that are displacing people and they have to put more and more automation in industry in order to keep up with other industries to keep the competitive edge. And the more you do this, it's been going on for many years, the more you do that, the less people you will have who have jobs. So they eventually will not be people who buy the goods that are turned out. And that's what's happening. So there has to be something entirely different that's posed, that's updated with our ability to produce abundance today. And that's where the Venus Project comes in. The Venus Project is a blueprint for coping with the problems generated by the old monetary system. I pointed out many times before, we have to design a society with built-in transportation and built-in problem-solving and medical care for all people, and we have to surpass the need for a monetary system. As long as you have money, as long as you put up money to get people elected, you owe them favors. And Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex. Apparently, most people don't seem to understand that. The military-industrial complex is not concerned with the well-being of people. They're concerned with the profit margin and to keep that going. And that is not the answer. We now have to have brand new paradigms for engineering society so that it works for the benefit of all people rather than a selected few. 
if we fail to do that deal, we're going to have all the problems that we've had in the past. It's not a question of whether you like it or not. It's a question as to whether you understand it or not. So if you have any questions, please bring those questions up on the Internet. Ask those questions. And if I fail to answer those questions, you have to indicate that I didn't answer the question. Yes, we both will participate in answering those questions. So please, if you have any objections, state the problem. Well, there's somebody in the chat room now who's asking kind of a question that I think is a little odd, but I'm going to go ahead and relate it um, as he's a listener. But he thinks... Uh, let me, let me read it exactly as he wrote it. Uh, Jock, could you please cover where the similarities exist between the RBE and Ron Paul's gold standard? I believe these are compatible. What do you think? No, they have nothing in common. The Venus Project has nothing in common with any established system. It's a completely different system. We have a different design for all aspects of the culture from our schools, universities, junior grade school, how children are raised. We go through all of the variables to make sure that people understand how it is that human behavior is altered so that we don't have the problems we have today. You know, as long as there's a means of exchange for goods or services, then you're going to have problems. You're going to have that people don't understand how much the monetary system plays on people's values and produces aberrant behavior and produces scarcity. And um, you know, people are people think that they're just born greedy or or with envy or bigotry and anger, and that they'll they'll always be conflict between people. But that's really not true. They they tell you that to keep things as they are. But as long as you use money or any form of exchange, you'll perpetuate that type of behavior. What we are advocating is making good, producing such an abundance with technology and automated systems, and we can do this, that we don't need to use money for an exchange of goods or services. You don't have to work anymore. We want to eliminate work as quickly as possible and have, enable people to have access to goods and it's, services. It's very easy, Neil, to automate repetitious jobs. In other words, all repetitious jobs can be automated. They're working on eliminating cashiers at supermarkets now. They're working on eliminating cashiers at banks. If you continue that process, you'll only make life more difficult and less purchasing power available for people. So what we do is we work a lot like the public library, where things are available to all people, just as books are available, musical instruments are available, cameras are available, lawnmowers are available to people, and also all of the necessities of life is made available without a price tag. Once you have a price tag, you have a basis for corruption. So in order to say, in, rather than saying to people, be honest, do the right thing, uh, have an open society, all that really avoids dealing with a problem. What you deal with a problem is you make things available to people. And if you make things available to people, they do not steal. 
If you can eliminate scarcity, you won't have a problem like that. If you don't understand that, if you have difficulty understanding that, go back to the separation of the states. When the states were separated, they had militias at the borders of each state, and they used to try to reinforce their territorial rights. Once the states joined together, you you eliminated the militia at the borders. And there were never any more territorial disputes. What you have to do is engineer out the stuff that you don't want. In other words, you have to learn how to do that and in an acceptable way so that the public understands we don't want the public to follow any leaders or teachers. We want the public to have an operational knowledge of how to build a society that's cooperative, that shares ideas with one another, that doesn't try to beat or conquer nature, that learns how to work with, with nature so that we learn how to take care of nature for the future salvation of the planet and its resources. This is what the Venus Project is about. How to manage resources so that all people are well off. And that is possible. The only painful thing about it would be the transition from the monetary system to the resource-based economy. All right. Well, now, I guess further, you know, as far as a message to, you know, to kind of go along with the idea of the Occupy movement and what we were discussing, usually when I talk to them, I usually kind of say, you know, do you need to pay an electric bill? Do you need money to pay your electric bill? Do you need to work for someone to get money to pay your electric bill? Or do you need to produce electricity within your community? Do you need to pay a grocery bill or do you need to produce food for your community? You know, I tell these people that there's these giant groups of unemployed technicians, um, you know, blue collar workers who already know how to build things that, you know, rather than as a community outreach trying to, you know, uh, rally politicians to bring jobs that they can't bring anyway, because you can't reverse the the technological unemployment. You can't uninvent technological unemployment. It's never going to happen. So, you know, we should instead be working to, you know, together to get together and start working on building infrastructures to take care of people because that's really the only viable solution anymore. We can't reboot capitalism. If we if we switch to a free market, it's not going to suddenly create jobs, you know, because the automation is still going to exist even within a in a free market. You know, the uh the idea that, you know, that robots are going to replace labor is is still going to be there. You know, and socialism is not the example, is not the, the solution either, because it still relies on the previous paradigm and understanding of technology, and it doesn't really relate enough to uh, human behavior. It doesn't understand, like, you know, like you said, with, you know, your interactions with the Communist Party when you were young, was that you said to them, well, what are you going to do about the inevitable corruption that comes out? Why don't we start a technical branch of the Communist Party to solve these issues? And they didn't want to hear it, <laughs> you know. So it's like, that's why I'm trying to tell people, it's like, because of the state of the world, you know, it's just like in that film, um, the, the one you guys did, uh, you know, with, with um, William Gazeki, the, the one of the first things that they quote was Einstein saying that our current problems cannot be overcome with the same level of thinking that created them. Would you like to elaborate on that, Jacques? As well put. In other words, our value system and our language, which I've said over and over again, was designed hundreds of years ago. That makes it impossible for us to talk to one another. If you have difficulty with that, imagine a group of Afro-Americans 
going to a Ku Klux Klan meeting to share ideas. It's just not possible. Or imagine a group of Jewish people going to a Nazi meeting trying to share ideas. You cannot share ideas if your frame of reference is artificial, if it's not based on reality. So we need a language that's not subject to interpretation. This is what has to be done. We have to develop a language like mathematics, chemistry, physics, engineering. When engineers talk to each other, they understand each other. It's not subject to interpretation. You don't notice that if you're not an engineer. You think that your everyday language communicates. It does not communicate. When you talk to people today, it goes into their head and is interpreted by their background. It doesn't come out the same way that you intended it to. So what we must do is develop a language that has to do with production of goods and services for the benefit of people. And the goods and services have to be designed not to wear out and break down. As long as things wear out and break down, you have to take them back and you have to buy new things continuously. That goes for wear and tear on all things. But if you build maglev transportation where things are repelled off the ground by magnetic repulsion, you have no wear of wheels. If trains are maglev operated, you don't have to change the wheels and the axles and the ball bearings. Don't you see that? If you design an electric bulb to last 150 years, you don't have to buy new bulbs. So in this system, we design things to wear out and break down. It's called planned obsolescence. You have to design things to wear out and break down. You know, a lot of times in industries, the inventors come up with products that last a long time, and they send them back in the lab to break down sooner, usually right after the warranty. So you have to, in order to keep this system going, the monetary system, you have to continuously purchase. You know, they change the fashions. They make things to wear out and break down. They, they, they change the fashions on the cars, what it looks like. So you need the most up-to-date um, product, which is really very artificial, but it keeps the system going. And it also produces a, a tremendous amount of waste. Well, that's one of the other things. And uh, also for the viewers, if you haven't seen it already, there is a foreign documentary that you can find on DotSub called uh, Pyramid of Waste, The Light Bulb Conspiracy. Um, I actually showed that video to Stefan Molyneux because he's a free market advocate, and he kept saying that plan obsolescence was a fallacy. And I showed him that film, and I finally got him to admit that it's not. <laughs> he was like, well, yeah, who makes a light bulb the last 100 years? I'm like, well, someone who's conscious of, you know, the use of resources would. You know, someone who's conscious of perpetuating the capitalist system would not. It's like it's built in. It's like you, it, whether or not you believe in capitalism for the ideas of private property or whatever is irrelevant, it's what I often have to tell them. There's only so many resources left on the planet. And no matter how much Ayn Rand you read or how much Mises you quote, the planet only has so many resources. And it can only take so much endless production before it's not inhabitable. You know, it, that, that's the, the final word on this is going to be nature. It's not going to be some leftist group of people trying to take over the planet. It's going to be the fact that the planet itself is no longer inhabitable from endless, you know, um, production of useless goods. You know, that that's the issue that I, that I keep trying to get through to them, and it, it's usually an argument that they don't have an answer for. 
They usually say, oh, well, the market will fix it. How does the market fix that? If there's only seven apples left on the planet, you don't have the right to take eight. <laughs> the market is running it into the ground and themselves with it. Exactly. Um, I also recommend to people to watch The Story of Stuff, a very brief documentary where a lady named Annie Leonard lays out the whole issue that the, you know that we can't continue at our current rates of consumption. Depending on who you ask, there have been people who have said that we would need five Earths in 30 years if we were going to continue at the same capacity. Some just say another Earth, some say two Earths. But nobody agrees, you know, everybody agrees that we can't continue at our current rate of consumption and expect the planet to be able to continue to be a habitable place. That's well put, Neil. In other words, what you really have to understand is what is it that people really need. People really need free access to the necessities of life. To the degree that you deprive that, you generate aberrated behavior. You generate insecurity in people. You generate low self-sufficiency. If you don't know how to overcome those things, you will have those problems continuously. That's why most people think that it's human nature. There's no such thing as human nature. Human behavior is shaped by the values we live with, by the culture we live in, by the availability of resources. If resources are not available, you have aberrant behavior. Those of you that don't remember this, when I went to the South Seas and all the natives walked around naked, completely nude, and were swimming nude well, ever since they were children, there were no fetishes on the island. There were no peeping toms. If boys and girls swim nude when they're very young, you eliminate the condition called peeping toms. You eliminate girly magazines because people have no need to want to observe a nude male or a nude female. It's the conditions you live under that shape your values. People think that, well, that's the way people are. That's human nature. They are brought up not to understand how the brain works, how creativity works. They don't even know what creativity is. If you ask creative people today, say, how do you create new ideas? What made you think of those things? They usually say, I don't know. They really don't know. And this is what creativity is. If you've got a short-term memory, try to record this. Creativity is taking known elements and putting them together in unique ways. In other words, if Hollywood produces a creature from Mars, we think, my God, those, those people have tremendous imagination. No, they don't have tremendous imagination what they have exposure. If you expose children to various kinds of insects, so you make a Martian with a grasshopper's head, crab's claws, they're always made up of known elements. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the forces that shape human behavior. There's no such thing as talent or gifted people, although you're taught that continuously in your schools, but you're never told how creativity works, what causes a person to be wide-ranging in their thoughts. The more exposure you have, in other words, if you service Volkswagen turbojet engines, the more exposure you have in mechanical systems, the more ideas you can bring to systems. With little exposure, you have little or no ability to innovate. The reason that most people cannot innovate 
or come up with new ideas is because they have limited exposure. That's why we expose children in the future to electronics, mechanics, physics, basic science, the history of civilization, human behavior, and the evolution of cultures. The more you know about how things work, the better you can think about it and improve it. But if you're never given any of that information, you seem to think it's inborn. All that's misinformation. You have to understand, too, the reason why we're not taught that the environment shapes behavior is because if we did understand that, we would look around and we wouldn't stand for this environment. We would understand how detrimental it is to all of our behaviors and how scarcity is detrimental to us. So it doesn't, that type of value system does not serve this system. It's, it wouldn't serve it to keep it as it is. So they push other types of values like competitive systems, you're either born with it or you're not. There are wars and there'll always be wars. They don't want us to I mean, if we looked at the environment and the issues, it then kind of puts the the microscope immediately on the system. It it basically points immediately at those people who socially engineered us into this mess in the first place. They don't want anybody to realize that. They don't want anybody to think about it because then the people that are responsible would know. Neil, I don't think they're aware of that. Right. A lot of people do not deliberately do that. They just don't know any better. It's not a conspiracy, per se. It doesn't support this system. Now, um, yeah, I've told people that, you know, even like on uh, mainstream television, the BBC in particular, they talked about Edward Bernays and his work as a social engineer to get everybody to believe they needed to be consumers and that, you know, being a consumer was, you know, was being free, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to get to a couple of questions here in the chat room. Um, one of them was, uh, Jock, what are your thoughts when you compare the current state of the world, like the way it is, and, you know, just like the tyrannies and all of that in this world, and then compare it to an RBE? Compare the tyrannies of the world to a resource-based economy, where we are today to a resource-based economy. A resource-based economy, we do surveys first. We, uh, we design a dam and power project, and we present to the public what that dam will do that's useful for the well-being of people. But we have another group called Alternative Contingencies, which describe to the public the damage that that dam will do to the environment. For example, a dam prevents little tributaries from flowing around so that beavers build dams and maintain the water table. If you tidy up all those little tributaries, and you don't make it possible for the fish to get up to the top of the dam by stepped elevations of water. So the fish can, fish can gradually jump up the stream and get to the spawning grounds. If you design pipelines to carry fuel or energy over distances without allowing for animal migration, you're going to hurt the environment. So you just don't design things to suit people. You have to design things to maintain balance and equilibrium in nature as well. And when you do that, you do suit people because, you know, as it is now, uh, basically we would have, like, you know, because he was asking for a contrast, in our current system, you know, we would build a dam based on what was most profitable. The politician that was elected to represent us, well, he's going to give a no-bid contract to some construction company that he's friends with who contributes to his campaign. 
and then they're going to build the dam, ensuring that it has to be worked on constantly to keep themselves forever employed, rather than building the dam the way you know the right way the first time. In a resource-based economy, we don't talk to politicians about building dams. We talk to architects and engineers and people that actually know what the hell they're talking about who are then going to build that dam, you know, in the way that's the most holistic, the most ecologically sound, and it takes care of the environment for everyone, including just, I mean, you know, that's why we were saying earlier, like you said, naturally sound. We can't just look at the way it suits people immediately in the in the short term, but also in the long term. You know, being environmentally conscious is is something that is also beneficial to mankind. And if we don't do it, we're going to kill ourselves off. Yes, that's true. exactly right, Neil. What people have to understand is that this is not controlled by technology. A lot of people think that the Venus Project has technical and scientific control. This is not true. All that the technicians do is build bridges, dams, power projects, but they do not tell people what to do. In other words, your preference for whatever you want to study is encouraged in the future. You can go back to school and study whatever you want to study, not what other people think are good for you. This is quite different. This is not a control of technology, the control of people by technology. When you want your plumbing to work well, you get a plumber, not a butcher. When you want an elevator in an apartment, you get electronics people that understand how elevators work. But they don't tell you what to do. They don't design the buildings that you live in. That's done by architects or planners. So it is not technological control by engineers. And one thing, the, the simplest contrast between today and, and a resource-based economy is that the main concern in a resource-based economy is the well-being of the environment and people. They work hand-in-hand. Hand. And today, that is not the case at all. The main concern is profit and wealth, property, and power. So there's a lot of, a lot of destruction in that. And you have to consider, in the future, the question is not do we have the money, it's do we have the resources to accomplish such a society that we're talking about, and we still do today before they run it into the ground, this is possible now. Now, oh, go ahead and finish. No, I was just going to say also, people think that in a society where you get anything you need without any money, that you lose your incentive. This is another thing, a, a fallacy they put upon you, so, so you wouldn't consider this. But, you know, everything, that, that's like saying that all the wealthy people who can get whatever they want just sit back and do nothing. But most people who we know that are wealthy don't have enough time in the day to do whatever they want. And incentive is really squelched in this society by having to get a job. You know, when you're younger, you like to do a lot of things. And as you get older, you have to, you have to choose a profession and go to school for something you don't necessarily like to do. But the things you like to do, you really can't get a job and make money at it. So you're forced into being a cog in the wheel and and living a life that does not really fulfill you. And you'll probably lose that job eventually as it gets automated. So so people really have a lot of incentive, but there's no incentive for minimum wage jobs. It, it's beaten out of you. Yeah, and the thing is, and I usually say this to the people in the Occupy movement when they ask me that question, I said, because they basically these people maintain these small communities in these parks, 
and everybody there is is pitching in and working, and nobody's getting paid for it. You know, I'm like, are you getting paid to set up the soup kitchen that we all eat out of? Are you getting paid to, you know, to help set up the tents? Are you getting paid to go to these meetings and go to these protests to try to make the world better? Obviously not. And you're making a lot of sacrifices because you have a real incentive to improve the world. The one that I usually give people is like, you know, I'd love to go build a hydroponic farming system in Africa to feed starving people. It's this system that's preventing me from doing that. I can't just pick up and leave because of the money system. You know, it's actually the system that prevents me from doing the kind of altruistic, you know, charitable things that I want to do. You know, and now um, another question actually to clarify, I guess, that what the guy really wanted to ask you was, how far do you think we are from this world to a Venus Project world? How far, like, you know, how long do you think it would take, I guess, to get us into a resource-based economy? And obviously you can only speculate because we haven't done this the survey, but. If we can make films to help people understand, to give them a visual idea of what it is we want to do. But when you talk of a resource-based economy, most people can't picture what that means. They don't understand it fully. So we want to make motion pictures showing lifestyles of the future, what professions, how schools work, how children are taught to become creative in the arts, music, and science, and technology. We show what, what it is that we do specifically to end, put an end to aberrant behavior and self-centeredness. We show how we eliminate those conditions from society. A lot of people think you can't eliminate that. That's human nature. It's been with us for centuries. This is not true. You've never had a society based upon engineering scales of performance. In abundance. Right. Now, the next question um, is uh, basically about Creative Commons and open source. Um, I guess basically, I mean, the first thing that I would say is that in a resource-based economy, all ideas and technologies are open source because you're, you know, because technology is researched for the benefit of all mankind. Um, I mean, are you are you familiar, Jacques, with what open source means? You know, in yeah. Creative Commons, you have no patents, you have no restrictions, anybody in the world of the future will be using all the new technologies to enhance the lives of people. Patents deprive people of the use of ideas, but in a monetary system, it gives people financial reward. In the future, your reward is an end of poverty, end of war, the end of aberrant behavior, and the end of most conflicts amongst people. That's your reward. An end of conflict, end of crime, most crimes are produced by scarcity or lack of access to the necessities of life. I've found that most laziness and lack of motivation is usually a reaction to a scarcity of free time. People are concerned that, you know, if they don't take the time to sit down and do something they want to do now, that they won't get the chance to do so later. When we're in a world where free time is in abundance, then people get bored and then they want to go do something. And why not do something that's constructive if you're empowered to do so? Particularly if you're raised in a society where altruism and, and charity, charitable thinking is encouraged rather than being looked upon as this other thing that people do or maybe even as foolish, depending on who you're speaking to. You know, there are a lot of people now being raised into the capitalist system that think that all of these things are basically bad for you or that, you're, you're, that there's something wrong with you for wanting to do something nice for someone else. That's true. So what we have to do then is to work on problems 
that are common to all people, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, lack of food, lack of housing, that's what we work on. The Venus Project's major concern is fulfilling the needs of people throughout the world, the end of separate nations, the end of divisions between people. In other words, all people need clean air, clean water, a relevant education, and the opportunity to grow. All people need the same thing. The misunderstanding is belief that some people are creative, others are not, some are lazy, some are hardworking. All that's artificial, untrue, not real. People will get their kicks out of making the environment better, making improving other people's lives, too. That's the reinforcement. No war, no poverty, no homelessness, no scarcity. You know, if you don't get reinforced with that, there's something wrong with your brain. And no prisons and no police. Right. You need police. If people have access to the necessities of life, they do not steal. And kids would have tremendous education when they're young. They wouldn't be, you know, it's not, people think that it's just late leisure that you sit around and do nothing. But when you're educated when you're young and you get interested in life and solving problems, people would be problem solvers. There's so much to do. They wouldn't be bankers or insurance agents, all those parasitic professions that we have today, like advertising and salespeople, um, what else, real estate people, all the, the professions within the monetary system that really don't contribute to the well-being of people's lives would disappear, and people would be working on problems that are common to everybody, how to grow more uh, acres, per, how to get more yield per acre without depleting the soil, how to uh, clean up the environment. Most of the mess with, that we have today, it's going to be a tremendous job cleaning up that mess that we did today. You know, how to get rid of diseases that we all face, because anybody can get cystic fibrosis or heart disease. So there's there's tremendous amount of problems that we really need to deal with. In other words, we have to become problem solvers. That's what it's all about. The more problem solvers you have, the more stable society. Now, um, Jacques, there was another question here. Um, one of the things that people usually have that bothers them about the Venus Project is that they consider it to be a centralized system, uh, that they think that it's going to be a central group of people making decisions for everyone, and that bothers them. Um, I was under the impression that although there is usually groups of people that will make decisions for a larger group of people, that there's still a system that everybody gets to, you know, to participate and give their their ideas to add to this. So it, it's not like a small group of people making decisions. In fact, people aren't making decisions anyway. The scientific method is. Would you like to elaborate on the issue of the centralization of a, of a resource-based economy? Yes, I will. A lot of people are lost in the idea that they use words like from the bottom up or from the top down. You've heard that where society is managed and ruled from the top down or from the bottom up. There's never been a bottom up society. Society was always managed by military systems were managed by the military. Bridge design was managed by bridge design. City design was done by by boards that, that, that worked out what they call the building codes. All of that is always from the top down. If you study the history of civilization, 
there were always kings or leaders or people like Louis Pasteur, Madame Curie, Nikolai Tesla. There never was from the bottom up. That's a myth that all societies are managed by technical capability. When your electric lights go out, you don't call upon a butcher. You call upon electricians. When you have trouble with your computers, you call upon one competent in working with computers. It's always been from the top down. But the only difference is, from the top down, you don't have an elitism. Everyone has access to whatever it is you need. See, there is no elitism of any kind. There's no advantage groups in the Venus Project. There's no one that lives in a house with a hundred rooms. Everybody lives in what they call adequate housing systems. And everyone has access to whatever education they desire. This is what I mean. There are no forms of elitism, technical or otherwise. I hope you understand that. You know, when you need an operation, you don't have people vote on it to see who's going to operate on you from the bottom up. You know, people are trained and they do their best to operate. And you'd have the, the, the people who are the most trained who train other people as well who, who do operations on people. You don't go to the, I think you said go to the baker if you want a bridge built. And, and the person who knows more about bridge building and can organize that, they will do that and assign other things to people who know different aspects of bridge building. Consider from the bottom up, what does that mean? That the peasants will design buildings and cities? No. All that we have to do is cater to human need. That's what the problem is about. In other words, uh, the average person or the people on the bottom don't know enough about nutritious food. There are people that study food and nutrition. And there are people that study exercising the human body to maintain optimal performance. There are people that can advise us in those areas. There are people that don't know anything about that. And they can't advise us in those areas. You know, but the difference is, in a resource-based economy, we want people and children to be trained as well as possible in all aspects of society so everybody can participate and make other people's lives worthwhile and, and you know, easier and better. So there'll be so many more people who will be participating. So you don't depend on just one or two Edisons or Louis Pasteur's you'd have so many people who can contribute very well in the society in the future. And then the other thing I would add about that, because people it's difficult for people to understand the leaderless system as we describe it usually. But first of all, they're concerned about, okay, so are we talking about rule by scientists, which is what technocracy would say, and I usually have to say to them, well, sort of, only that everyone can be a scientist. There isn't some cast of people who are scientists. You know, um, if you follow Jock's ideas about education, as Jock has always said in the past, you're going to have way more Edisons, way more Teslas, way more people on that level. Because And everybody has that capacity. If they're given access to this information and if they're basically trained to be technicians on their own. And if you want to participate in the decision-making process, you don't have to run for office or engage in debates. You provide research. You prove that your idea is superior to the other idea through testable hypothesis and research. 
that then makes the decision obvious at that point. There is no more arguing about ego. There is no more Republican. There is no more Democrat. There is, can you scientifically prove that your method of producing food is superior to mine? Okay, well, you just did, so you win. That, that, that's the end of it. That's exactly so. In other words, when people know what makes them behave the way they do, they don't know that yet. They think that there are good people and bad people and lazy people and hardworking people. All that is a bunch of myths. The truth is that anybody can become very creative. And those of you that are not sure of that, look into the Venus Project, thevenusproject.com. We have a lot of information on the website and lots of books that are recommended reading. If you really want to understand the factors that shape human behavior rather than thinking that it's inborn. Nothing is inborn. Now, we have one more question from the audience that I think we have time for. Um, and what do you think of the effects of divorces on children in an RBE? What's the, the Jack's a little hard of hearing, so I'm relaying it. What's the effect of divorces in a resource-based economy upon children? First of all, you don't have marriages in the first place. In other words, you have many friends. When you're seven years old, you played with other boys, seven and eight and six. And then as you grew older, you changed the kind of people you went with. When you fall in love at 15, it's not like falling in love at 30. Your values keep changing. And the trouble with many people today is that they fall in love with a certain set of standards they have at a certain age. Then they find out that they cannot share their values with their wives. And so they split. They split because they're looking for answers. A person that's been married three times is a person that's trying to seek out certain characteristics in human behavior. And that will never be fixed. You will always seek out differences, and you'll always be in the learning process. You will always undergo change. And if your partner doesn't go undergo change as you do, you will split. This is the law. This is physical science. It has nothing to do with good, bad, right, or wrong. And children well, will be taken care of by many people who care for them, just as much as the person who gave birth to them. So they're not dependent on just a mother and a father as in this system. And that's actually an excellent point because it, it goes back to the it takes a village concept is that, you know, there'll be people available to, to help raise children. And when you look at the fact that because of the fact that everyone's taken care of, you know, the whole issue about that kind of becomes less of an issue because everybody's, you know, it's not like there'll be orphanages full of people with no one to take care of them that are struggling to get the resources they need to take care of children. It's a completely different paradigm. You know, and as you guys pointed out, the, the basis of the relationships that we have in the first place will be different. You know, it's not to say when we say there could be no marriages that people can't choose to be monogamous and stay together if that's what they want to do. But it's not something that's required for survival. A great deal of the relationship patterns that we have are because of the fact that they were for survival. A woman needed to find a man to take care of them because women weren't allowed to get jobs. That's where the whole basis of marriage started. And that in and of itself is related to the monetary system. Rather than two people deciding to enrich one another's lives for sharing values, 
like the two of you have been doing now for like 40 years without any problems. You guys never needed to ask anybody's permission to be together. You didn't need to involve the state in it. And I think that the relationship the two of you had is probably far stronger than many quote-unquote marriages that I've seen. Of course, that's true. And there are many people that stay together, not because they love each other, because they're trapped. That's right. And when you when you understand that, when the Venus Project comes in, the divorce rate will be enormous. I wouldn't say the divorce rate, but separation will be enormous because people live together today in hatred and argue with each other continuously. This is not necessary in a sane society. In a sane society, you can share ideas, you can share values without getting angry. You can honestly disagree with another person without getting angry. I know that's very difficult for most people to imagine. They think that jealousy and envy is part of human nature. It's not. It's due to inadequate training that a person becomes jealous or angry. I think um, we're down to like the last three minutes, but another major point that I'd want to add is that, yes, there will be an end of a lot of frivolous relationships, but there will also be a lot of great relationships that will come out of a world where it's free to travel. When people ask the question, well, what about the scarcity of people that you're attracted to? What if I want a woman that someone else has? I always point out to them that that's due to scarcity of compatible partners. You're going to be able to travel the world. You'll be able to find so many people you know, that you could possibly be compatible with. The whole idea of fighting over a person will just be absurd at that point. When, the, you know, you have access to the whole world of different people that you might be compatible with, and that the purpose of relationships at that point becomes to enrich one another's lives, to share each other's lives, not to just be financial partners. Exactly that. You hit the nail on the head again. And the notion that there is one right person out there for you is... Mm-hmm. Continue. You know, okay, I'm just well, saying the notion that there is one right person, you know, you found the right person is erroneous. There might be many people that will serve your needs in different areas. Well, thanks again for being on, guys. We're down now to the last minute. Um, I want to once again hit up the website, thevenusproject.com. Uh, don't forget to check that out. Uh, you know, check out their film, Welcome to the Future, which you can watch for free there in their download section. Um, in addition, you know, if this is your first time listening to V Radio, if you liked what you heard, please visit V hyphen or V minus radio dot org. Um, check out my YouTube channel, which I'll be putting a lot more video on. I also have their uh, interview that I did with Jacques when I was down there in Venus, Florida. So thanks again, and thank you guys for being on again. This was a great show. Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. We nope. appreciate it, Neil. No problem. It's a very good cause. So I guess I'll leave you guys, ironically, with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. If it plays. <laughs> well, what it's supposed to say is, this is Roxanne Meadows and this is Jacques Fresco, and you're radio. listening to V Radio. Oh, there we go. It worked. <laughs> Take care, guys. Bye-bye. So long.